0: amen god bless you church family thank you so much for being here and let me add my voice to steve's and kathy's and wishing you a happy mother's day it is a beautiful day to be in god's house and i look out and i see a lot of moms with their with their children sitting beside them and i know that is a wonderful feeling and um, i praise god for my mother today and look forward to being able to see her soon I want to begin today, before we actually start the message, by introducing you to a book. I think many people are always looking for their next good book, and this is one that I want to hold out to you. It is a, a book for younger mothers, yes, but it's also a book that really, I think, has principles that can and should saturate our society. I wrote it a, about this book in the little blurb in your worship guide this morning. And so if you have the worship guide, you might want to peek um, from time to time what I have to say in there. Um, but this this particular book is a book that basically challenges us to be training our children to understand apologetics. Apologetics is not uh, running around apologizing for anything. It's actually a defense of our faith that we defend Christianity and we need that now more in our society than ever before. And so it is a wonderful book that challenges mamas. It's, it's called Mama Bear Apologetics. And so if there's anybody that can guide apologetics, it's those mama bears in our lives. Somebody say amen to that. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I want to begin by giving you a number. And the number I'm about to give you is such a large number that it's going to be hard for probably many of us to come, to compute this number. We don't deal with numbers these size. When our government comes out with numbers like these, we don't really even know what they mean, but here's the number. Sixty-three million. Sixty-three million. It's a number so big that we can't really even imagine it, 63 million. So let's think about it, and here's how I want us to think about it. Take the population of Georgia plus the population of Michigan. Add the population of Virginia plus the population of Nebraska. Add the population of Nevada. Include the population of Iowa. Add the population of South Dakota, add Rhode Island, add Arizona, plus the population of Oregon, add onto that the population of Kansas, the population of Vermont, the population of Massachusetts, the population of Mississippi, and then add the population of Alaska. Take the population of those 15 states, and there you would finally arrive at a total of approximately 63 million people. 63 million. Did you know on January the 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion on demand in the United States? And since that day, yes, about 63 million unborn babies have died legally in our country. That decision, folks, has been on our national conscience Since that day, January the 22nd, 1973. And right now, if you're watching the news, you know in America, this is our most important discussion. Now, this week, it was leaked that the Supreme Court of the United States might overturn that decision. So I decided today that I had to speak about this. I felt the Lord call me to speak about it on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, Pastor, yes, especially on Mother's Day. And I want to say gently yet boldly in this place today, and I pray it echoes not only in this room, but also to all those watching online, I pray it echoes across this community, this county, this state, and this nation, that it is time for the killing to end. It's time for us to come together and to celebrate the value of life. It's time for us to protest the killing of the unborn. It's time for us to raise our voices in one great call from every corner of this nation that enough blood has been shed. It is time for the killing to end. 63 million people. 15 states, in essence, wiped out, vanished, gone, legally killed. It's time for the killing to end. Now, I know this, that this is a sensitive issue, and I know many people don't prefer to think about it. And in every community, yes, I know you're going to find a spectrum of opinions and a spectrum of experiences. In every church, on every Sunday, pastors speak to women who have had an abortion, and maybe that's you here today. Some of those women probably are angry, some are brokenhearted, some, I believe, are probably guilty, some are frustrated, some are unsure where they stand, and some simply want to change the subject. But it's almost impossible to find anyone who's neutral anymore. So against that background today, I just want to ask a question, and this will guide our message today. What does it mean to stand for life? What does it mean to stand for life? And and we have several answers to our question today. And the first one is this. We must affirm the value and the dignity of all human life, born and unborn. And to make the point today, it's not going to come from my heart. It's going to come from Scripture. So I want us to consider several passages of Scripture together. I invite you to, first of all, to turn with me to Psalm 139. If we're going to be guided by anything, it must be God's Word, or otherwise we have no place to go. And so Psalm 139, verses 13, 14, and 15 gives us a wonderful place to start. Listen to God's Word. The psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful." I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Folks, those three verses form for us the strongest statement of God's prenatal care in the entire Bible. So the question is, how much does God know about the unborn baby growing in the womb? How much does God know? The answer is every single thing. Like a skillful weaver, God takes those tiny hands and those tiny legs and He joins them to that tiny body. He forms the heart and He sets it to beating. He watches over even the thumb and makes sure it finds that little mouth. Who makes babies? God does. Who makes babies? God does. And now look at Jeremiah 1 5. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, we see an echo of this. It says, The Word of God came to me, saying, Before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Brothers and sisters, when we see the unborn, we ought to worship God because they are His creation. We ought to proceed with holy caution into a nursery out of respect for life. Friend, God is at work in the womb of a woman, and His fingerprints are everywhere. When you touch an unborn child, you touch the handiwork of God. And now listen to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 41 and 44. This is a very important passage for us, and I think you'll recognize the context. This is the story of Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, going to greet Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, and this is the interchange in these two verses, first verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was that baby? John the Baptist. And then verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, she said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. When those two expectant mothers greeted each other, Elizabeth's baby, the yet-to-be-born John the Baptist, leaped for joy in her womb. The Greek word translated baby right there is the word brephos. The same word is used elsewhere for an infant in Luke chapter 18, verse 15. So the word baby in the womb and infant later on, the same word in the Greek New Testament. It demonstrates a biblical understanding that this unborn child is fully human. So who gives life? God Almighty does. Who causes the unborn baby to survive inside of the womb? Almighty God does. Who takes little hands and feet and eyes and noses and lips and assembles them together in the womb? God Almighty does. Who gives life? Say it with me. God Almighty does. Folks, if we believe the Bible, then we will have to believe in the sanctity of human life for those born and unborn born. You see, from the moment of conception, a distinct individual has come into being, an individual made in the image of God, the Bible says, an individual with a human soul, an individual for whom Jesus Christ died. We must say it and we must repeat it and we must never stop. When a baby is aborted, it is not simply the termination of a pregnancy. It's the killing of an innocent human being made in the image of God. Folks, the Bible puts high value on human life that stands in stark contrast to the moral schizophrenia of our, of our day. Unborn children are just as valuable in the sight of God as those who happen to make it out of the womb. And I'll tell you the truth today. The most dangerous place to be in America today is inside of a mother's womb because you only have a one in four chance of not making it out alive. The first thing that it means to stand for life is to affirm the value and dignity of human life, both born and unborn. Let me give you a second thing. The second thing that it means is, though it may be unpopular, and though it may be attention-getting, and socially incensing, if you will, we must continue to speak out. And here we come to what I consider the heart of, and the central scripture of this entire message. I want you to now take your Bibles and go with me to Proverbs 24. In Proverbs verse 24, chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, we hear Solomon lay out some wisdom and a command, if you will, a challenge for sure. I believe to every single one of us. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, Let's stand together for this one. As we stand and honor the reading of God's word, read along with me. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Friends, these verses are a sobering challenge to God's people, the church. Be seated, please. I think this passage asks us to consider an attention-getting reality. And here's what I want you to picture in your mind, if you would. I want you to go historically and picture thousands of people being herded into railroad cars bound for death camps. And as you watch this scene, you know that none of them are coming back. They're headed for mass murder. You're there, you see it, you know what's happening. And the question is, what will you do? It's the Corey Ten Boom question, isn't it? Here's what she wrote. Someone is dying unjustly. You see it happening. What will you do about it? You can always find an excuse. But here's a solemn word from the Lord. Proverbs 24. It's a warning against those who try to make excuses for not getting involved. It's too messy. People won't understand. I can't risk my reputation that way. What if somebody sees me? What if I get arrested? It's not my place to say anything. I can't really change the whole world, so why even bother trying? And on and on, arguing against personal involvement. And as we do, slowly the train chugs out of the station, and now it's too late to do anything. In this age when abortion has almost become accepted. I'm embarrassed to say this. It's like it's some sort of national sacrament. It's good to remember in that context that lives are saved and hearts are changed one at a time. If you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List, what a powerful movie. Every one of us should see it. And if you've seen it, I want to hearken you to that closing scene in the film, Oscar Schindler is filled with remorse that he saved so few people. But you saved 1,100, he was reminded. But I could have saved more, he said. And knowing his pain, the survivors present him with this gold ring inscribed with a saying from the Talmud. It says, whoever saves one life saves the world entire." You see, for Corey Ten Boom, there there wasn't really an option. When she saw fellow Jews being herded off to concentration camps, her Christian faith, it propelled her to action. And one by one, she hid them in her attic. And eventually, you know the story, the authorities discovered what she was doing, and they sent her to one of those camps herself. And there her sister died. But Corey lived to tell the story. And when asked why she got involved, she replied very simply, I had no other choice. Today, please take a look around you. I understand you can't do everything, but you can do something. And if you're a Christian, let me say to you boldly, you don't have another choice. We must tell the truth in a world that does not seemingly want to hear it. When you kill an unborn child, you violate the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. It's not politically correct to say that these days. I care very little about that and neither should you. There are many who have said, no, you have to back off. If you're going to be pro-life, you can't use words like kill or murder. But when the Bible says it, we must say it. When the Bible speaks, we must speak. When the blood of the unborn has stained the nation to the tune of 63 million dead in 48 years, isn't it high time for us to stand up and start telling the truth? Friends, we're not in a popularity contest. We're in a truth contest. And when we're on the side of truth, we're on the side of life. And that's the truth spoken today from God's Word. Third, what does it mean to stand for life? It means that we're going to have to win this battle one heart at a time. You see, slowly but surely, hearts and minds, I believe, are changing. Today, there are 3,000 plus crisis pregnancy centers in the United States. Our own Hope Center is one of those. Hundreds of women choose life every day because somebody is out there gently persuading them to not have an abortion. And most women, and I know I'm a man and some say I can't speak, but I think I have an understanding of people's hearts. And I'm going to say this, most women really don't want to do that. They feel backed into a corner by some awful circumstance in their life. And they come to the point that they see no other way out. I encourage you to watch the movie Unplanned. Have you seen it? The amazing story of how Abby Johnson left Planned Parenthood. She became the most public advocate for the unborn in the United States. Let me wrap up my message with seven steps that I believe we should take if we really want to be pro-life. If you sit here today and you say, Pastor, I'm pro-life. These are steps I believe you ought to take. Number one, pray for America. We ought to pray for America every single time we have the chance. The National Day of Prayer this year, this past Thursday, we should have been on our knees praying for the United States, and we should have done it Friday and yesterday, and we ought to be doing it today. If we get bitter about what the abortion industry has done, we make things worse. We don't make things better. It's time for the church to pray for our president, to pray for leaders of both parties, to pray for members of Congress, to pray absolutely for the justices who sit on the Supreme Court. And then as this matter moves to the states, we must be praying for the states. Pray for America. The people of God must be a people of prayer. Would you accept my request today and be a people of prayer? Would you do that? Pray for America. Number two, we need to speak out in the name of Jesus Christ. That means taking a stand for life on our job. Not just at church on Sunday when people surrounding you are supportive, on your job, in your office, in your classroom, in your neighborhood, wherever your life takes you, stand for Christ. If we stay silent, how will things ever change? Third, we need to reach out with a message of love to women who have had an abortion. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I believe that there will be women hearing my words today who have had an abortion. And I believe there's going to be a lot of pain in those hearts. And I want you to hear me. We're not angry at you. We're not at all angry with you. We're not mad at you in any way. And we love you in the name of Jesus Christ. We do. You may have felt trapped. We understand that. You may have felt pressured into what happened. Maybe you had a boyfriend who got you into trouble and then he walked away. We understand those things, terrible things, happened. Maybe you knew what you were doing, but now you feel the moral ramifications of the decision that you made. And I want you to hear me. We don't condemn you. We love you. We want to introduce you to the love that we have found in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Abortion is bad, but it's not the unforgivable sin. And God calls the church to reach out to women who have had abortions to put our arms around them and to simply say, we love you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do. Next. We need to take our pro life convictions to the voting booth. And, friend, if we did that, America would change. And I'm going to say this, I've said it many times. Stop voting as a Republican and a Democrat, and start voting as a child of God, a Christian. When you get into the voting booth, you are not a political party member. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Please vote accordingly. Next, we need to support those who are on the right side of this issue. And this does include crisis pregnancy centers. It does include adoption agencies. It does include foster parents, people who are taking in unwed mothers, those who, through gentle persuasion, um, help in all of these areas. We need to support the good guys instead of just attacking the bad guys. We need to support everyone whom God is using to love little children. That includes the armies of doctors and nurses who treat infants and young boys and girls. It includes those who teach our children. It certainly includes those who rescue children from brutality and abuse and slavery and sexual exploitation. So so I'm just going to say it out loud. God bless the Sunday school teachers. God bless the Vacation Bible School workers. God bless the Cultivate workers. God bless the children's choir leaders. God bless those who take in foster children. God bless those who fight against child abuse. God bless those who adopt children. God bless those who care for children with special needs. God bless those who lead children's worship on Sunday mornings. Anybody who is investing in the life of one of these little children is a blessing unto God. So may God bless them richly. Last, we have to remember that these are people. You see, I think this is the easiest argument for me that I'm not just pro life, I'm pro Courtney Reeves. I'm pro Emily Reeves. And I'm pro-Ryan Reeves. Those are gifts from God, and God gave them to me. And it was not my place to do anything but receive them and steward them to the best of my ability. They weren't clumps of cells, they were people that God created. And so are you. Overall, church, we're going to have to change hearts if we want to see this country changed. And only Jesus Christ can do this. We know that. So let's keep loving others. Let's keep speaking out for the unborn. And let's share the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not give in to anger or despair, but with grateful hearts, let's keep following the Lord, and let's lift His name up to the best of our ability. Abortion will not last forever. One day the killing will end, and God's truth is indeed marching on. May it march on in us, may it march on through us, and it may it march on sometimes even in spite of us to the glory.